If we haven't met, my name is Matt Davis. I work here. Uh, Dave is on vacation for a couple of weeks, which means that you and I are going to be together for a couple of weeks, if that's okay. Um, oh, all right. Uh, so this morning, as we are ending our series, we've been in Romans for quite a while. Uh, over the next three weeks, you and I are going to be together and we're going to be uh, closing out the book of Romans. So today we are in Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 14 to 33. We'll, we'll get there. Um, so that, that's where we're going. But I, I want us to just, for a moment, um, just understand that we, when we are reading this letter... It is a letter. We are reading other people's mail. Um, and we've had a lot of good, deep theology that Paul has given us. But in these last few passages that we're going to be looking at, it's going to feel a little bit more like a letter. Um, there's going to be addressing... And wait, wait till you just sneak over to like Romans 16 for a second. You'll see what we get to deal with next week. That's why Dave's on vacation right there. Um, but we're going to have fun. Um, as we look at this, you, you look at this letter, and I don't know if you've gotten these, but at sometime around March, April, we have some of our crews, they're going uh, out on short-term missions trips, and you get those letters, they're the support letters saying, hey, I'm, I'm going away. Um, essentially, what we're going to be reading today is Paul's version of that, and and it might feel a little bit awkward. We're, we're going to give some context to what he's saying. And you, you can even feel a little bit as Paul is talking through some of this that there's a little bit of an apprehension because he's going to be having the, the ask. There's an ask as I'm reading some of those letters. I'm waiting. It's usually in the last paragraph. Um, would you give? Would you help? Um, and if you can't, then just pray. Um, but we're going to talk through what that looks like. But I, I was thinking along the lines of, of awkward letters and needing some context. Uh, Chuck Swindoll shared a story one time, and I thought I'd share it with you. And this is how it goes. The story, it deals with a rather old-fashioned lady. Uh, she was planning a couple of weeks vacation in Florida, and she was also quite delicate and elegant with her language. She wrote a letter to a particular campground, and she asked for reservations, and she wanted to make sure the campground was fully equipped, but didn't quite know how to ask about the toilet facilities. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her letter. So after much deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term, bathroom commode, which, of course, I use all the time. <laughs> but when she wrote that down, she still thought that she was being too forward. So she started all over again, rewrote the entire letter, and referred to the bathroom commode simply as the BC. Does the campground have its own BC, is what she actually wrote. Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all, and he got the letter, and he couldn't figure out what the lady was talking about. The BC really stumped him. So after worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to other campers, and they couldn't figure out what the lady meant either. The campground owner came to the conclusion that the lady was and must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. <laughs> BC. So this man sat down and wrote the following reply. You ready? Uh, complaints, dmitchell at calvarylife.org. <laughs> Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but now I take pleasure of informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite <laughs> and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly. 
but no doubt, you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a whole day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. Now, the last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there is a supper planned to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the BC so everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems more and more an effort, particularly in cold weather. Now, if you do decide to come to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time you go, sit with you, introduce you to all of the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. Mitchell at calvarylife.org. Uh, awkward letters. It helps to have some context, though, to understand what's going on. And as I've spent some time in this passage in Romans 15, I, I'm trying to understand where uh, Paul is coming from. I've, I've read through the commentaries. One of the authorities in the book of Romans is a guy named Douglas Moo, and he said, this is a hard one as far as application. But God was speaking to me, and I felt like there were a few questions that, that we were going through, that I was thinking through. What, what is Paul going through? What is he thinking about? What is his conversation? What is his posture towards God? That we, we're looking at this passage, and we're reading, and we're getting an understanding of where Paul is at in relationship to God and the mission that God has him on. And so... In the outline this morning that you have, I have a couple of questions. And so the outline is there inside the bulletin if you want to follow along or if you just want a thrill ride and you don't want to know where we're going next, then just keep it there in the bulletin. But in chapter 15, verse 14, uh, Paul is, is coming to a close in his letter to the Romans. Um, next week we'll actually find out who the carrier was that took this letter to the Romans. But Paul is writing this from a place called Corinth. And he's writing this letter to the Roman people, and he actually hasn't even been to Rome yet. And so in verse 14, it says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. You guys are doing well. From the reports that I've heard, not only do you know things, but you're able to kind of help keep each other in line. But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me. Now, I want you to, to just hear a couple of things. Number one, this, this first question is, how is God working out his story through you? We have to start with the assumption that God has a plan. That God is up to something in the universe and that we are here for some reason. It's not just you're here to take up space, but that you have a purpose in being here. And so I believe that Paul is asking this question, how is God going to work his story through me? What is God calling me to do? And, and so Paul is writing this letter to the Romans and he's saying... You guys are doing really well, but I, I have something that I need to address, and I'm going to address it very boldly to you. And there's some points that I need to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. And now he's talking about his calling. 
his kingdom calling. What has God called him to do and to be? And so in verse 16, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he's a Jew. His ministry, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, which gets him in some trouble. We'll get to that. But ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders. Your Bible might say miracles as confirmation that this is God in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He's taking a look back and he's saying, this is where God has brought me and this is the story that God has done. This is a a, a glimpse into the past and his ministry and his calling. And as you look at this, sometimes you go on a certain course in your life and, and God has a plan and if you are faithful to follow his plan, Sometimes it can be disruptive. Um, he, he says, for the grace that was given me from God, right there at the end of verse 15. See, Paul is a pious, started out as a pious Jew that was taking a ride to Damascus to go kill the believers. The Jews that had converted, that had stepped forward in their faith and put their faith in Jesus Christ. He was going there to persecute them and on the way God knocked him off of his horse. And he counts that as the grace given to him by God. And as you follow God's plan for your life, it's, it's not always simple. If you read my email that went out this week, um, we, we have this, this title for our sermon series, and it's called Living Free. And, and in that, I think that we have this idea that this freedom in Christ, the freedom in Jesus, is some kind of vacation for us, that... Jesus has died to set us free, and so now we can kind of just do whatever we want. And I I think that Paul in his life is giving us a really good example of what it really means to live free. He's not sitting back on the beaches drinking some kind of drink and enjoying his life. Paul is on the move. I'll I'll show you in a couple minutes how much so he was on on the move. He, He was all over the place, but... Sometimes the plans that we have and the things and directions that we want to go get disrupted by God because ultimately God wants to bring about a plan and there's a test for us. Are we going to be obedient? Are we going to follow him where he's leading? And even as he is writing his last letter to Timothy, what we have captured in 2 Timothy, it says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He is in prison and he knows the time of his death is coming soon And the time of my departure has come. Paul's life was radically disrupted on the road to Damascus and forever changed going forward. And so as we think about this this question, how is God working out his story through you? We look at Paul and what he is doing and how he is living his life. and, And we realize that we have to be open to some disruption. So not only is it disruptive, but sometimes it's also humbling. Um, And we get this picture. He says in verse 16, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus and of the Gentiles. He says, I'm ministering as a priest, 
the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He, he's given us this picture that he is this priest. You've got to go back to Old Testament times when the priest would come and they would take this perfect animal. He says, my offering to God is my work of bringing Gentiles to the light and to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm bringing that to the Lord and that is being made. They are being made holy. They are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I've found reason in Christ Jesus I have, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Now, I, I think that this, I, I was reading this and I was looking at a couple of cross-references. One passage that I think that Paul has in mind as he's, writing this letter is Isaiah 66. And I'm going to show you a couple verses this morning that, that make me think that there's a connection. As Paul is, is writing, that, that he's thinking about this passage. And this one specifically says, Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters, on mules and camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel, to the house of the Lord. I believe that Paul has this picture and he's thinking about Isaiah and he's saying, this is a time for me that I am bringing out the, the people who don't know the Lord. And, and there's this theme going on in Romans of the insiders and the outsiders that God has opened the door and allowed the outsiders to come in. And so Paul is part of this and, and he says, I'm, I'm going out here. But he also, as he's doing this, he realizes that the work that he's doing and any success that he has in this ministry is because of God alone. Now, sometimes if you're successful in ministry, it could go straight to your head. There are times where I have been in the lobby and some of you have said, that was a great message. And just when I start to think that, oh, I am doing really good, then God sends other people for me. And it'll be something in the way of, uh, was, was the clock broken this morning for you? Or did you have a really busy week? Um, and so those are the type of things. But, but God wants us to remember. And it's a good reminder, and I welcome it, just not today. But it's a reminder that, that we need to be, and, and we all have a ministry capacity. Hopefully you are doing something in the kingdom, right? But that, that we need to be humble. And, and it is humbling when we look at the work that we're doing and what God is calling us to, um, that we need to be connected to understanding that God is the one that brings the growth. That it is, we are empowered. And, and the good things that come out of our ministry, you think about Jeremiah 9, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the strong man in his strength, the rich man in his riches. If you're going to boast, boast in this that you know and understand the Lord. And, and Paul is not bragging here, but he says, look, in all humility, God has been doing some amazing things, and it happens to be that I'm an open and usable tool. And I think that he's asking this question again. How is God working out his story through me? God, what is it that you want me to do? So sometimes in this journey for us, it is humbling as we look through our lives and we, we look and see what God has done to, to step back and say, man, that is amazing. God is humbling. And then sometimes it's beautiful. If you are allowing God to work throughout your life, 
Paul is saying something pretty amazing here. In verse 19, he says, In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He's looking back at the past few years of his ministry, and he's almost putting a period on it and saying, you know what, this was a season in my life, and this was something that was going on, but I have fully preached the, the, this part of my journey. We're going to bring this to a close. And, and to give you some, some context here on the map, Corinth right there in the middle, this is the place that, that Paul is writing the letter from, but he says that... I have had this ministry that has gone from Jerusalem and roundabout all the way up to Illyricum, which today is modern-day Albania, former Yugoslavia, that area up there. Uh, you think about it. I, I think I, I, I get to do some traveling. I go to some places. How did these guys ever get around all that much? But you look at Paul. He's making tracks, right? He's going all over the place, and he's saying... Man, there have been some amazing things. I've planted some churches and gone from Jerusalem roundabout, kind of making his way all the way up to Illyricum. It's beautiful. There's something that God is doing, something that God is stirring. So the second question this morning is, how is God revealing his call in your life? For Paul... There was no question what he was called to do. Look in verses 20 and 21. And he says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, and he goes back and he's quoting Isaiah 52. They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Um, I, I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. He, there's this dissension and people are kind of arguing, um, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And, and Paul makes it very clear. Look, I Paul, I plant. Apollos, he came by and watered. God is the one that brings the growth. But Paul has it very clear in his mind. His mission from God is he's a planter. He's a pioneer. He's constantly looking in new frontiers. And so for Paul, he's, he's pioneering and he's going out and he wants to find the places in his life and in the world where people have not heard. And so the question is, what, what is God revealing to me? What is my kingdom calling that I am supposed to be attaching myself to and living out? Your job is not your kingdom calling. It could be. But I think sometimes we get focused and that's what I am and that's what I'm supposed to do. But God has some plans for you. And, and do we sit with this question of what is God revealing to me? And I, I think that it changes and it has changed for me over time. And I've looked and where God has me right now, my calling in my life right now is to help strengthen marriages and families um, here. And there's a calling to strengthen my own marriage and my own family. But for you, what is God calling you to do? Um, but I like this idea that Paul is after, that he wants to see the gospel seed planted in places where it hasn't been. And so 2,000 years later, where we stand today, there still exist places here on earth that have not heard about Jesus Christ. There's something called the Issachar Initiative. And out of, out of this, this is a ministry that is seeking to 
make sure that in the next 10 years of our life, I mean, think about the capabilities that we have today that we didn't have 2,000 years ago. It's Paul jumping on a boat or hiking from this place to this place to go plant a church. But we have so many resources at our hands. Um, there, there's this story um, uh, about this thing called Table 71. And I want to show you a video. It's longer. We tried to cut it, and I decided, no, you just need to see the whole thing. I hope that this inspires you, but I want you to think as we're watching this about Paul's words and don't just disconnect and say, you know what, that's for other people and there's something going on here. I want you to be asking even the question, what God are you revealing to me as we watch this? So take a look at the screen. It was in Amsterdam 2000 when a miracle started that no one could have anticipated. Dr. Graham asked if I would bring together 600 strategists from throughout the world to take one segment of Amsterdam 2000. And we decided during that time that we would invite people to come to a room, 600, and meet around 75 tables, and we would talk about everything that had to do with the completion of the Great Commission and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It was the third day when we were gathered together, and Paul Eshelman stood up, who at the time was leading the Jesus Film Project but was starting to really study people groups in a whole new way. Stood up and talked about the least reached or the unengaged people groups. At that time called untargeted people groups of the world. And there was about 230. Well that's when Bruce Wilkinson came to the platform. He was working with Paul MC in the home meeting. He came up to the microphone and said there shouldn't be any untargeted people groups in the world. Just the idea that there would be untargeted people groups means we're not doing our job. I said, we uh, lead the vast majority of the Earth's Christian army in this room. And if we decided together today, let's finish it. And there was a growing sense uh, in the room that uh, this is something that was uh, deeply on God's heart and that he had given the body of Christ everything that was needed to reach these people groups. And eventually I challenged the people and said, why don't you get around with a group from your organizations from all over the world and take a look at all those sheets of all the unreached people groups and why don't you pick the ones you feel God is calling you and your organization and take ownership of this. And so he said, if you'll take one, two or five, come up and shake Paul's hand and say, we're taking two from our organization. One person said, well, I'll take one. And another person said, I'll take three. And another guy said, I'll take 10. <laughs> he was a layman. He didn't know what he was talking about. But to his credit, I met him out in India doing it. And I just stood back and watched God tap people's hearts here, here, here. People came up. Some of them were weeping. They embraced each other. And they put their name and you could see things were happening in the heavenlies at that moment. The blood of Christ was being applied to, the, to these groups that have yet to hear he died for them. It was this electric environment. I mean, really, it was one of the most exciting moments that uh, we had experienced. And we got up to about 141 and nobody came. Nobody, they were all done. There was no one else coming forward. I invited the men and women to consider coming forward again and making commitments if they felt God was leading them. A few did and then it just stopped. I mean it completely went quiet in the room. As, as exciting was all the euphoria over adopting them, I mean the opposite end was the, 
discouragement we all felt at the quiet because it just stopped. And I stood back from the pulpit and was praying quietly, saying to the Lord, Lord, every time I've ever watched you do something, you never did it halfway. You always completed it. Whatever you want, please complete it. And I was with Steve Douglas, who just become president of Campus Crusade for Christ. We were at the table together. He was our table moderator. And he knew I was with YWAM. And so he leans over and he goes, well, why don't our two organizations, YWAM and Campus, finish it? You know, take the rest of the list of the 232. And then all of a sudden, I saw a table out there, the table I was seated at, because it was the only table that had an empty chair on it. <laughs> it was buzzing back and forth. And everybody else was kind of quiet. And these were key leaders in the country. And I thought, that's unusual for them to be talking like at this moment. My mind is spinning, I'm looking at the list on the table, because it, the ones that are left are the hardest of the groups. I mean, it's, these are the groups where you could go in, but maybe you wouldn't come out. And then all of a sudden, th there was consensus around this table. I was watching them, and, and they were nodding like this. And then somebody came up from table 71 with a note that said, table 71 takes the rest. There was shouting in heaven, literally. I can't imagine what the angels must have sounded like when finally the sons of men stepped up to the bat in such a way that Christ's agenda, the what he's waiting to be completed, has finally become our most important finish line. And uh, I'm sitting back at the table thinking, oh my gosh, what did we just do? <laughs> you know, we took responsibility for 120, 130 people groups. I think Steve was feeling some of the same. We rallied and, and actually started working overtime. We worked some during the breaks. We, uh, we actually met past the end of the time that our group was supposed to end. Steve and I look at each other and, okay, we committed to reach these groups. What's reach? You know, so we're trying to grapple with what are the key elements of what we call reach with these groups. And so we just named the obvious. We said, well, first of all, we need church planting. I was at a different table, and at the break time, David Garrison, who was the global strategist for the International Mission Board, and one of my staff came and said, you've got to come over to this table because something's happening. And he said, Avery, we need this, and we describe it, and he goes, I'm in. He pulls up a chair. Well, then we know we need Bibles, obviously, translated Bibles, and there were no Bibles in those languages yet for these groups. At the time, the president of Wycliffe was Roy Peterson. And during a break time, I was at a table adjacent to Table 71. Um, the group at Table 71 called me over and said, you've got to come over and listen to what we're thinking about. It just works like that until all of these main categories we call REACH all have their leaders sitting at the table. You know, every, every session we were just building one after another until we came to a time of, of developing a contract with one another, a commitment that we all signed by the end of the time. And we said, is this what we're committed to? And the answer was yes. We are committed to the number zero. That someday, people who do research would search to and fro throughout the earth, and they would find zero unengaged, unreached people groups. Amen, right? That's awesome. I'm thankful that today in our culture that there are men and women who are stepping up and saying, 
there's something to be done and they are pioneers and they have the heart of Paul. And, and so here's a question and I think this is where Paul is taking us in, in the last um, section here is, is, is what, what are we supposed to be doing with this? And, and I want us to look, how is God inviting us to join others. If God is, is all of our God, we are part of His body, and He's giving unique vision for what we are supposed to be doing in our lives. It's not that we are supposed to be going out there and just doing this alone, even though Paul is the man, and he's going from place to place. The fact that he's writing to this group of people tells us that he is not an island, that he has a lot of help, and he has a lot of support. And so he, he gives us this invitation it's an invitation specifically for the Romans, but I want us to be asking this question. How is God inviting you to join others in what they are doing in their ministry? And so in verse 22, it says this. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions. Why? Because I've hit all the places around here that did not know. I planted all the seeds around here. So there's no more place for me in these regions. And since I have for so many years a longing to come to you. Now, this idea that, that Paul wants to come to the Romans is not new. In fact, even in the beginning of the book of Romans, he says that I, I want to come to you. I'll, I'll show you that in a second. But he, he says, I, I want to come, but this is, this is the route. And I, I want us to think about how can we just even share in the vision that God is giving people. Um, he says, whenever I go to Spain, in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Now, let's go back to our map here. He's writing from Corinth. But he is wanting to go to Spain, and he says, on my way to Spain, I want to stop by and see you in Rome. And here's where the kind of awkward ask comes in, where he says, uh, I'm going to be passing by and I'm going to stop. I hope to be helped by you on my way over there. And so he says, after I've enjoyed your company for a while, verse 25, now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. So he actually is kind of making a roundabout trip. He's not actually going straight there. He's going to be going from Corinth back to Jerusalem and then to Spain. And on the way to Spain, he wants to stop in at Rome. And so, again, in Isaiah 66, he says, I'll set a sign among them and I'll send survivors from all the nations. And, and it says this, it says, Tarshish, put Lud, Meshech, Tubal, Javan, Distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. That, that name Tarshish is, is what we would associate today as Spain. I believe that as Paul is looking around and he's looking at Bible prophecy and what Isaiah is saying, he says, I, I need to go here. This is where God is bringing me and I want to go to a place that, that the Lord is calling me to go, that the seeds have not yet been planted. So not only is he asking the people in Rome to share in his vision, but he's also saying, I want you to give to the vision that God has revealed to me. So he says, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing, to be helped by you on the way there. Helped financially. I want you to help support me and get me to this place. And I want to enjoy your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. They have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. Now, it's interesting because Paul in Romans 1, he makes this first plea as he's talking 
to the Romans, he says, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I might succeed in coming to you. I long to see you that, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you might be established. That is, I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He doesn't mention anything about Spain. He doesn't say that I'm going to be there with you for a while, but now here towards the end of the letter, he's saying, look, I am going. And he says, Macedonia and Achaia, they've been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. They were pleased to do this. And then he even goes on and he says, if the Gentiles shared in the spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in the material things. Let me just point this out a little bit. You see the map again, and he's talking about Macedonia and Achaia. Um, these churches are probably churches you've heard of in these areas, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth. These are some of the churches that are giving. And as Paul is going around on his evangelism tour, he's saying, look, there are some Jews that are poor in Jerusalem, and I want to take up a collection, I want to take up an offering, and I want to bring it to them. And so this is why Paul is going to go all the way from Corinth back to Jerusalem and then go back over to Spain. But he says, I want to take up a collection. And this is really important to him. And, and I want us just to notice for a second that it says that they were pleased to do this. They were pleased to make a contribution. Yes, they were pleased to do so. They're indebted. The Jews have given a spiritual blessing. You're indebted to give back a material blessing. Paul uses this idea of you're pleased. There's a joy in the giving. Each one must do as he is purposed in his heart from 2 Corinthians. Not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And so Paul is making this invitation, but I, I want you to understand why he's doing this. He is doing this because he wants to bring unity. There is a disunity in the context here that's going on that the Jews have always been God's people. They are the insiders and the outsiders are the ones, they're the Gentiles and they are out. And so for them to be able to receive a gift, Paul is hoping, and this is why he's not just sending it, but he says, I want to personally make this gift. And so he says, I want you to pray for me. In verse 30, now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, to strive together. And then here is his prayer request. Number one, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. And number two, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. He's saying, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. I need some prayer. Will you strive together with me in prayer that I would, number one, be rescued from those who are disobedient? There are Jews who are not happy that I, a Jew, am going out and telling other Jews and Gentiles that they can have this relationship with God. And so Paul says, when I go back there, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be living free. I'm not going to be sitting out by the beaches and hanging out with everybody there's going to be trouble. And, and if you read the book of Acts, you see that he was actually arrested. So even out of the, the ugliness of that whole situation, eventually Paul is arrested, shipwrecked, and he ends up in Rome. And he's there for two years, and he's meeting with these believers that he's writing this letter to. You can read that in, I think, Acts 21 to 28, and you can see that. But he also says, and that my service, my offering, the thing that I am giving to those in Jerusalem, that it may be 
acceptable to the saints. His fear is that the Jews there in Jerusalem will say, no, no, we don't want the Gentiles' money. Don't give us, we, we don't want that money. We want, we want to keep it right here in the family. Paul is going there specifically because he wants unity and he's asking for prayer. Now, I, I want to just, I want to bring this up, um, a, a couple things. I have too much to say and not enough time. But what we got is, is this. Um, you've been following what's going on in the world. <laughs> and I, I could just say specifically Israel and Gaza, but our, our world is a mess right now. Agreed? Um, I, I actually like, just started printing out some articles that I've been reading. And, and so these are just a few. I threw them up on my, on my table in my office and I took pictures. But I, I, I'm looking at some of these things uh, of what's going on. And it's not just, it's not just the, the battle in, in Israel and Gaza. And I've been striving together with our missionary in Jerusalem, Moran Rosenblatt, and talking. And, and he's there trying to evacuate people out of the bordering towns of Gaza and getting them up toward, toward the Galilee and, and trying to help them out. Um, but even the, the headlines are just shocking. I can't believe that I'm living in this period of time right now. More Brits joined jihad than volunteered for UK Army Reserves. Um, we have planes that are being shot out of the skies. UK, Ukraine says rebels put landmines near MH17 site as Russia slams sanctions. Now there's fighting near the site of the downed Malaysian Airlines and leaves 14 people dead. Um, and, and then there is the guy who is named as the Jewish Schindler who's rescuing Iranian Christians, Syrians, and Iraqis. Have you been following what's going on with ISIS in Iraq? Um, I, I just want you to know, and I want you to hear this and understand, that, that there is this, this faction, it's radical Islamic jihad that is, look, you, you could distance yourself and say, I'm not Jewish, and I know that there's anti-Semitism sweeping throughout Europe, but the Christian community around the world, but specifically in some of these Islamic nations, is falling apart. In Mosul, Iraq, that has had a Christian community in there for the last 2,000 years, for the last 2,000 years, there was about 35, 40,000 of them there. Just a month ago, as of last Saturday, there are no longer any Christians in the city of Mosul, Iraq. Um, ISIS is going through. They, they actually assassinated, murdered 1,500 Iraqi soldiers, dumped their bodies into a lake as they shot them in the head. Uh, this, is, this is rough. They're blowing up. Old, old buildings, the tomb of Jonah, there was a mosque that was, that was there in Mosul. And, and, and Christians around the world are, be, are giving the choice, getting the choice of convert to Islam or pay an exorbitant tax that will impoverish you or, or die by the sword. And these leaflets are going out and people are reading it. And so the other option is just to flee. And so that's what's happening in, in Mosul. And so for the first time in the history of Iraq, Mosul is now empty of Christians. Um, a quote from this week says, we were being threatened every single day. We don't have anything left but our faith. It's like life has stopped and we are so tired. There are homes in some of these places in Iraq and in Syria where they're putting an Arabic N, which stands for Nasrani, which comes from this root Nazarene. They're marking people as Christians and they're saying, you convert or you die. And so I think about our missionaries who are spread out all across the world and what they are doing and how they are living. And I, I think that we need to do something about this. I think that we need to be lifting them up and we need to, as Paul has, 
has, has demonstrated and said to us that we strive together with them in prayer. So in your bulletin today, you have a postcard. Can you look at that real quick? Um, we have 54 different postcards that have been scattered throughout the bulletins. And, and what I want us to do is to take a step because I, I think we have some excuses. We say, uh, well, we're so far away or we're so busy or we simply just don't even know what to do. Um, here's at least one thing that we can do. Uh, we have... We have a lot of missionaries that we represent, that we send out from Calvary here, but we have 54, um, and, and so you have some information about them on one side, and it's just a postcard on the other. And, and as we go even into a time of communion and reflection, I'd like you to grab the pen in front of you, and I'd like you to write a prayer of encouragement that I am praying for you. Now, I want you to know that we have more missionaries, but these are the ones that we are allowed to send postcards to. So even as you write to these people, these are the people that are in a zone that can actually take a postcard. Um, pray for the ones that we couldn't put in the bulletin today because those are the people that are striving and in places that are not safe and we can't even sometimes reveal where they are serving. But that you would write this and then we're just going to ask you to put a stamp on it. It's already addressed, but you would put a stamp. If it's international, it, a stamp is $1.15. And I think if you get, like even we just... Just use the forever stamps for if it's domestic here. But to encourage those who are striving for the gospel in whatever place they're doing that, um, as just an encouragement that this is something that you do and, and you, you spend a buck, help us out, and, and you can send this out to them. The last thing I just want you to understand is because I look at the situation that's going on here in the world and I, I look at what, what Paul says here in this last verse. He says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I want you to understand that the God of peace is working out his story. That God has a plan, and in all of this, it's messy and it's difficult. But thank God that he is the one. See, there's not going to be peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, is going to come again. And he will bring peace here to this earth. And I'm thankful even this morning that he has brought peace to us because... There was a time, there was a point in our lives where we were at war with God and he sent his son for us so that we might be safe. So this morning, we do that. We're going to take communion and we're going to be thankful. We're going to remember what Christ has done. But I want you to strive together and pray. I want you to open up your hearts and yourselves and say, God, what is it that you are doing? Where are you moving? Will you join me as we pray? Lord God, We have a mess. Um, our world is deteriorating. And I, I have a stirring in me personally that I, I can't just sit and watch it. And I find myself struggling at times with what to do. I pray that we would be people here at Calvary Church that would share in the work that you're doing, in the story that you are creating and building. Um, God, that we would be giving, that we'd be giving our time and our treasure, our resources, the talents that you've given us for your kingdom. And I pray that we would be praying. I, I know that we have missionaries on the ground in different places all over the world right now that just need prayer. So God, would you open up our hearts? Would you open up our our minds this morning, that we might come before you and that you would stir in us what is it that we are supposed to be doing? Where are you calling us and where are you leading us? So God, work in each of us right now and as we 
take the bread and as we take the cup, may we be reminded this morning that you brought peace between us and you. In Jesus' name, amen.